I am your host, Mark McBride-Wright, founder and managing director of Equal Engineers, and I believe that every engineer has a story to tell. The Equal Engineers podcast uncovers the diversity story behind leading engineers and those working with the profession championing change. Hear from leaders, academics, entrepreneurs, and agents of change, truly transforming the understanding of who engineers are and what engineers do. Sir Julian Young retired recently from the Royal Air Force after 40 years of service as an engineer officer. In his last post, he was Director General Air within the Defence Equipment and Support Organisation in the Ministry of Defence. In his role, he led some 2,265 military and civilian specialists and was responsible of putting to work some £3.7 billion annually on equipping and supporting all of the MOD's fixed-wing aircraft. In this role, he concurrently was a member of the Air Force Board and the RAF's Chief Engineer. He also had an MOD-wide role as the Defence Engineering Champion. Throughout his long career, Julian held a variety of in-command, manpower policy, operational engineering, training, logistics, and staff appointments, including project team leader for the Harrier GR7 T10 fleet, and on the support helicopter force, Falkland Islands, Cold War Germany, and Gulf War, the first Gulf War. Julian's first degree was in air transport engineering, And he is a fellow of the Royal Academy of Engineering. He is also a governor of Bath College and a trustee of the RAF Charitable Trust. He was awarded a KBE in 2020 and a CB in 2013 and an OBE in 2000. Julian, welcome to this equal engineers podcast hi mark hi that is an impressive impressive biography there <laughs> well that's uh, very kind of you to say it never felt very impressive when you were doing it it just felt like a hard a lot of hard work but but uh, also very enjoyable I, I, absolutely i'm sure a lot of hard work went into that you, you don't get to become a sir without putting in the uh, the hard graph to to work up the ranks so just e- expanding on that i, I think with so with these these podcasts, we're really keen to understand the people behind the face, you know, to learn something from your personal story, um, any adversity that you might have been through and, and how your route to the top, you know, what what challenges did you face and what what, what did you come across as, as you're heading there? So before we go into the present, let's go back. Let's go back and find out about the young Julian. Where did you grow up? What What was the young Julian like? Okay, Mark. Uh, Well, Buckingham is my hometown. Uh, In fact, my mum still lives there. Um, If we were to go, I've got got to visit there soon to fix her front gate. Um, I was uh, at school there. I passed the 12 plus exam and I went to the local grammar school, the Royal Latin School. What was it like when I was young? Uh, I would say probably quite unremarkable in many ways. Uh, I wasn't very good at rugby at school uh, in a school that was very sporty and the first 15 were heroes. Um, I love sport, but I was just not very good at it. Okay. Uh, I was also not great academic either, uh, mm. though I had a very good memory and did well at exams. Uh, so I got the grades necessary. 
and was the first person in my family to stay on fray levels. Um, I seemed to flourish, though. I got a bit taller and I flourished in the sixth form and was made head boy of the school. Uh, I got the grades I needed and again uh, was the first in my family to go to university. Uh, The Royal Latin School really gave me a great start to life, I'd say. And I'm pleased to have been asked back to uh, hand out the prizes at speech day a few years ago. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. So I was deputy head boy at my school and I remember that sort of first feeling of, of, of responsibility. I didn't, I didn't quite make it. I didn't quite make the cut to get, to get head boy. It's a, it's a big responsibility, is it? What, what, how would you describe your school days then? And, and, and that transition into engineering beyond just the exams and, you know, the academic attainment needed. Well, as as I've already said, I I don't think uh, it was quite an unremarkable uh, childhood. I wasn't very good at uh, sport, wasn't sort of one of the cool children, it would be fair to say. Uh, But I, you know, I worked hard, still had lots of good friends. And indeed, as I say, when I got a little bit older, I, uh, through just experience, I suppose, I just was happy with myself and was a bit more confident, uh, such to the point where um, I think it did come as a bit of a shock almost to most of the other children that I was chosen to be head boy. Uh, but uh, I'd made a pretty good prefect, I suppose, and dedicated myself to not having too many riots in the playground at lunchtime. Um, but I, I did woodwork at school um, and studied design and technology to A-level. Um, I recall my school careers master asking me what I wanted to do in the future. And I didn't really have much of an idea. And on the strength of continually taking my bicycle apart and rebuilding it, which I explained to him, he pronounced that I should be an engineer. I didn't think uh, my parents could afford for me to go to university. Uh, So I applied to several companies for sponsorship to go and wrote to about 11 companies from memory. And in fact, I was finally offered a place by both British Airways and the Royal Air Force to study for a thin sandwich degree at the City University. Uh, I'm still not quite really sure how I chose the RAF, but the rest, I guess, they say is history. And I served for more than 40 years, as you said in your introduction. Thin sandwich degrees don't really exist now. The closest would probably be a degree apprenticeship. Okay, that's really interesting. And you mentioned doing um, woodwork, design and technology at A-level. That's not always a subject that's put down as a requirement for you know doing an engineering degree nowadays you know it's more of the sort of fundamental theory uh, subjects like physics maths um, chemistry biology if you're doing biomedical engineering what have you um, in fact I think even now I wouldn't get into my chemical engineering course with the subjects that I studied because I did chemistry and maths and French and I think Imperial now stipulate that you must have physics um, so what role do you see design and technology playing now with with moving into industry? Well, I think that sadly, I think it's on the decline. Or certainly that's the last stats I saw that not quite as many children are taking the subject as they have in the past. Um, I, of course, did maths and physics because I think when I was, uh, you know, gosh, how long ago was it? Well, 40 years ago, 41 years ago, um, you needed that come what may to study engineering at university. But the third subject, and it was only three in those days, um, wasn't quite so important. And I had always enjoyed working with my hands. I'd enjoyed my woodwork O-level, now GCSE. Mm. And so it was quite natural to go on and do design technology uh, at A-level. And it did seem kind of appropriate mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, to, do, to be an engineer. Um, uh, absolutely. I, so when I finished my undergrad, moved into my PhD 
I actually found myself do, building my apparatus and doing the design of it, thinking back to skills that I learned in school about rendering and woodwork um, in, in my design and technology classes when I was 13, 14. Um, so there's probably something there. Is there is, does the I, 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 I know the IET supports the Design and Technology Association. Is there something that the IET is doing that, that, that is helping keep that afloat then? Um, well, I think it's a case of trying to encourage all youngsters to find their route through to engineering profession, whether that's at college or at university. Um, and anything, I think, that's vocational in nature, which getting people sort of hands on with some tools, designing things, making things, and hopefully feeling really proud of themselves for having done that, um, then, you know, it's got to be a good thing, isn't it? It's another activity regarding STEM really absolutely so you mentioned that woodwork then was was one of your pastimes what what other pastimes did you or do you enjoy well uh, with the military you tend to move a lot and indeed it isn't just a case always of following the flag and moving into marry quarters we've owned several of our own houses over the years where we thought that we were going to be for a period of time and to try and give uh, our three children uh, some domestic uh, and some educational stability so it would be fair to say I've spent a lot of time over the years on DIY, actually, at many houses. So the design technology of the woodworks really come into its own because we've moved so many times. Um, but as I mentioned already, I'm not really into playing any sports to a great degree, um, though I am a football fan and my whole family supports Peterborough United. Uh, so that's a, an emotional roller coaster ride um, every Saturday during the winter. Uh, these days, um, I've taken up cycling again, uh, which I really enjoy. And in fact, um, probably a little fitter than I've been for the last few years because of that. Uh, and beyond that, I enjoy exercising the, the right side of my brain. Uh, so I go to art galleries with my wife. Uh, we are fans of impressionist art, though I think we look at it differently. She looks at the pictures and says, gosh, isn't the light wonderful in that picture? Um, I've picked up lots and lots of impressionist art books over the years from Oxfam bookshops, great big thick books for five or a tenner. I study them and I love to see the original actually on the wall and then try and remember what year it was actually. Oh, um, I see. Uh, so maybe I'm a bit of a train spotter of impressionist art, really. Yeah, I love that. I love that. That's like having prior knowledge loaded up in your brain, going to Absolutely. an art gallery and then looking up the little plaques and seeing if you can a memory recall exercise see if i can get the artist right because there are some that do have similar styles and then most importantly did i get the year right my son right now his nursery is doing it's a very hands-on nursery and, and they bring an activity to life through like multi-sensory learning so to speak so they've been teaching them about artists um getting them to then do shapes and make a little picture themselves and he, so he comes home every fortnight with a little piece of paper with a little blurb on the back around who the artist is and what the shapes represent. It's it's certainly a lot more advanced than what I used to get with just a bit of paper and trying to colour in between the lines. <laughs> so so maybe maybe art is on the up now. Um, I, I might need him to borrow some of the books that you're mentioning, or you'll need to well, let um, me know what they are. Uh, absolutely, I've got I've got a whole cupboard full of them. <laughs> So what have been some of the key experiences that have shaped who you are today? Um, well, I would say that I've worked pretty hard all of my life to be good at what I do. 
as an RAF engineer. Um, I mean, the early tours were just so much fun. I almost never wanted to leave the hangar in the evenings. Um, just working with aircraft, working with the air crew, working with the ground crew, and being responsible for meeting the flying program tomorrow, next week, and next month, and next year. So there was some planning involved in all of it. It was just exactly what I wanted to do when I joined. And indeed, to be honest, this inspired me for the rest of my career. It was a long time ago when I did that for real. Uh, the rest of it had spent an awful lot of time behind a desk and doing PowerPoint engineering, I'd call it. But I think my sandwich degree uh, that I spoke of earlier gave me a tremendous start. We spoke about vocational training. And it was a four and a half year long uh, course divided into six month blocks. And you spent six months at university and then six months with your industrial sponsor. For me, that was the RAF. And so I spent two years working as a tradesman on frontline aircraft whilst I was at university. So there was a really strong vocational element to the training. Uh, but I've, I think I've always worked hard to learn more to get better. I've ended up with four degrees, uh, three of which I studied for part time, which was not easy, especially when my three children were young. I mean, leadership theorists also talk about needing to have experienced a cauldron at some point in your life. And by that, they mean having had bad times in order to show your mettle and learn to be resilient. Uh, I mean, the postings that shaped me most, I think, were probably the hardest. Uh, on three occasions, I led transformational change, uh, which was to pretty much modify entirely the traditional organizational boundaries of the RAF's front line and to introduce more contractorization. The motivation was unless we reduce costs, we would lose capability. Uh, but it was not make, it certainly didn't make me popular at the time at all. And it was really hard to make it happen. But my team and I succeeded and we ended up delivering the efficiencies that needed. And uh, we kept all of our stations and all of our squadrons till the next uh, you know, defense review, until the next uh, financial crisis comes along as often it does in government departments. I love that leadership theorist idea of experiencing a cauldron at some point in your career and, you know, that really pushing you through some hard times to shape your metal, as you say, you know, to really help build resilience. I, I think um, it hardens you up yeah. and it, it really makes you think hard about why you are doing what you do. And if you can get through that, you know, if you are motivated enough to do that, I think you end up certainly as a better person. And we always say that, um, you know, we continual improvement, learn from your mistakes, et cetera, to err is human. We all make mistakes. Um, I think the, the reality is learning from it and moving on. Yeah, and, and, you know, whether I made mistakes in that, I think I probably did some, uh, certainly in terms of engaging stakeholders and challenging them probably a bit harder than perhaps I needed to. But then the reality is if we hadn't done that, we wouldn't have got the outcome that we needed, certainly in the timelines that we needed. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yep. And there's probably something there as well around um, underrepresented <clears throat> minority groups reflecting on additional barriers that they might have to go through to get to where they're at. Like barriers, like call, the, the cauldron of resilience coming from who you are, your, your personal circumstances, as well as professional. I, I agree. I mean, if we look back at one of this nation's greatest heroes, Nelson, mm -hmm. uh, the, I, I remember um, studying uh, about him years ago. And in fact, he went through a cauldron. And as far as whilst as, as good a sailor as he was, actually with the high society at the time, he was a bit of an outsider. 
because he had come from quite lowly roots and clearly through his uh, profession had in fact become you know, famous and well-known and a bit of a hero. Uh, but he found it very hard because people yeah. didn't always see him eye to eye, as it were. I see, I see. So there's things we can learn from historical figures. And I guess that's why it's important to have role models that represent the present, but also learn from the past. I think the IET recently did a campaign on that, actually, sort of capturing engineers from the past and um, celebrating their stories. And um, also, I think Savoy Place is going to have some new pictures rolled out soon of a recent campaign from current engineering role models. That's exactly right. Um, from Well, from looking at the past, the present and the future role models, and in fact, I, I helped as one of the judges for that. But also, we've had just a fabulous campaign quite recently through um, Black October. And again, looking and celebrating successes in the past, mm-hmm. which again, I'm absolutely certain that many of those individuals will have been, will have found adversity yeah. in, um, in being as good as they were at the times that they lived in. Yes. And, uh, you know, we all need to remember that. Of course. So in the last four and a half years in your service in the RAF, you were chief engineer. Can you tell us a little bit more about being a chief engineer? What did that involve? Well, part of it was that I was lucky enough to have sat on the Air Force board. And uh, I was in the job that I was in. I was also responsible for acquiring uh, all of the MOD's aircraft. Uh, Though being the RAF's chief engineer, I would say, made me the most proud. Um, It's a figurehead role for the RAF engineer branch and engineering technicians. Uh, So I spent quite a lot of time speaking to our young engineers and promoting their professional and personal development. The role also had a day job element to it and had me as the head of airworthiness for all of the MOD's aircraft. So I was responsible for assuring the safety cases for design and support which I did by delegating responsibility to a number of chief engineers that we had, indeed one for each of the aircraft types. And then I worked with them as the subject matter expert on individual issues. Looking back, uh, we had no breaches of airworthiness in my time in the job. And I'm extremely proud to have my name in gold leaf paint on the board in my old office recording that I was the RAF's chief engineer for four and a half years. Amazing. So we've, we've, Captured a bit about, heard a little bit about the Julian of the past and the journey that you've taken to to get to where you are now. Um, Just looking ahead, thinking about the present, um, what would you say to anyone out there who is questioning whether or not a career in engineering is for them? Okay, Um, well, I'd say give it a go. Uh, There are so many exciting opportunities within engineering. I mean, it touches every part of our lives from microscopic technology within our smartphones, through aircraft engineering, to developing renewable energy sources and helping uh, at this moment uh, to find solutions to real world problems. Uh, So if you're passionate about having a positive impact on the world, then this is, I think, the perfect industry to join. If you're creative, innovative and like solving problems, and I reckon there's a career waiting for you within engineering. Absolutely. I think that idea of creativity and being innovative um, is something that you don't always think about when you hear the word engineer. And, and maybe that's one of the challenges that, that the profession faces in terms of attraction, talent attraction. But what do you think are the biggest challenges facing engineering over the coming years? In the, in the UK, as you know very well, Mark, we're currently facing the struggle 
of a skill shortfall and a large gender imbalance too. So there's a challenge to encourage young people everywhere to join our profession. Uh, and I would say at the moment, especially young women. Beyond that, there are huge global challenges to overcome, such as climate change and net zero targets to reach without the skill sets and diversity needed uh, within the engineering industry. Uh, we will struggle to overcome those challenges. It's essential we create a sense of belonging and identification to ensure that not only our members, but the wider engineering community feel valued and are recognized to enable them to help us achieve our mission. And in the IET, that is to engineer a better world. That definitely resonates. That definitely resonates. I, there was something I read um, on, on LinkedIn this week, and it was in light of all the COP26 climate conference happening right now in Glasgow, someone shared that their 11-year-old daughter came running into the room in tears when they'd made the connection that some of the dates that COP were um, sort of claiming as to when you know climate change will really kick in and the devastating effects will be impacted, she fast added that number to what age she'll be and felt helpless and started getting scared and worried. And I think engineers in their mid-career now, we, we're going to start seeing this from Generation Z, from the upcoming leaders of the future really holding us to account as to what actions are we taking in our personal life and in our professional lives to really, um, you know, make net zero happen. I absolutely agree. I think that we can wait for governments and we can wait for every nation in the world to do something or we can make a difference in our own lives. And if everybody does a little, then it, yeah. together it's going to make a big difference. It's interesting you spoke about, you know, the Z generation. I spoke in my presidential address on taking up uh, uh, presidency of, of the IET of four Zs. And one of them, uh, I was using a bit of artistic license to talk about squeezing sustainability. So I wanted to mention sustainability, but there was no Z in it. But the squeezing for me is the fact that almost whatever happens at the corporate and governmental level, the reality is it's probably not going to still go fast enough. Yeah. And that it is going to be engineers that actually end up solving the problems of climate change. Mm. And we're, we're going to have to do that. We're going to have to do it better, faster and probably cheaper to allow yeah. it all to happen in sufficient time. Absolutely. So does that, well, what are the main opportunities then? Does that represent the biggest opportunity for our profession? Uh, well, I, I think it does. I think engineers have the opportunity to change the world. Uh, as the late Prince Philip famous, famously said, everything not invented by God is invented by engineers. And thus it will be engineers that solve the problems of climate change. And every day we see new and exciting examples of how we can use technology to repair our planet. Yeah. STEM professionals are the difference makers, I think, uh, that really can drive change and solve the problems that we face across the world. I like that. So, so what are you excited about in your role as the 140th president of the Institution of Engineering and Technology? What impact do you want and do you hope to have? It's difficult in a year, isn't it? Uh, um, it the time flies by so quickly, but I'm most excited by putting in as much energy I can uh, as being president to benefit the IET and its members, to raise awareness for our causes, continue to achieve our mission, and have the opportunity to really embed our new strategy 2030 into everything we absolutely do within the IET. I'm a big fan of the strategy. 
um, having spent some time with post-it notes and whiteboards and helped develop it as a, as a trustee in years gone by. And it's something which, um, again, I've pledged that I will con help consolidate into everything we do and communicate it across the, uh, across the entire uh, IET global membership. But I'm also excited to have a lot of fun along the way, uh, which largely will be to meet so many of our members and volunteers. I know stereotypically engineers are supposed to really not like people very much, but the reality is I think maybe I've learned over a career of working with people to like people a lot and to know that if indeed you want to make change and you want to make a difference, then you've got to, you've got to work with people and try and inspire and be inspired by. Um, it's not all one way. Um, I get as much inspiration from people who are so enthusiastic about things that it really does redouble your efforts to work a bit harder, even if a bit more harder, um, and uh, do as much as you can and make that difference. Absolutely. I think, I think your, your point earlier around the fusion of engineering and technology and, and, and inspiring others I, th I think if there's nothing that can't inspire anyone more than that then um you know we i think that's a great message to to help get the next generation through it certainly makes me think about my technical expertise as an engineer and how can i use that again through my current work with equal engineers and trying to really curl these different bits of the profession together um to to, to be a force well, for change well, I think it would be good if, um, I mean, there are, there are so many engineering organizations doing great stuff. And I think the more we collaborate, you know, the better it is. The, you know, we will be able to cover the ground a bit faster, go a bit further and, uh, and hopefully do a better job uh, and not end up spending the same money on the same things. But, uh, but apart from there was one thing that I did want to mention, I'm certainly shining a light on technicians uh, throughout the year. And as far as I think it's been a lost group of people among our profession and, and I would um, really rather hope that indeed we will uh, grow the number of professional registered technicians uh, not just in the IET but across all of the PEIs across the whole of the country and I think if we did that then I think we we may actually also genuinely change the status of our profession. So I saw the phrase eat sleep engineer repeat used as part of your um, part of your presidential address at the IET can you tell us a bit more about what this means to you? Okay. Well, did you like the T-shirt, Mark? Uh, it, look, it looked great. I, where's my one? I want it in the post. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I, I'll, I think I've got a spare one somewhere. I'll, I'll send it to you. Is that okay? Yeah, that's fine. I wanted to uh, be a bit more impactful, I suppose. You know, I've seen many people stand up. And, you know, the sad thing is by the time you get to be a president, that doesn't include uh, Danielle last year, but there are a lot of grey-haired men. And so I just wanted to be a little different. Um, but uh, I think engineers and technicians are extraordinary people. Um, I think we have a particular mindset. I think at large, we're a restless group who are never quite happy with the end result, knowing that actually we probably could have always done it a bit better. Indeed, there's a number of times when I've done something and somebody says, wow, that was kind of really good. And I kind of end up biting my tongue, really, not to argue because in my brain, I already knew that it was not quite as good as it could have been. Yeah, yeah. And if I'd got the chance to do it again, then it could have been even better. I think engineers are masters at continual improvement. Yes. So, yes, um, so I think we always reflect on what we did and the things that we do. So that's why I believe that we do truly eat, sleep, engineer, and then repeat. I mean, perhaps uh, there, you know, there is time for other things, but for 
a lot of people who know me well and would probably say I verge on work work workaholism. Uh, that uh, I would say there's no time for anything else other than eating, sleeping, and most importantly, engineering. And and so you you met you alluded a moment ago there about met um, engineering technicians. So how do you hope to raise the rate of professional registration of, for engineering technicians? Um, well, I hope to raise the the rate of uh, professional registration for our engineering technicians and ICT technicians both exactly the same, by encouraging and communicating uh, with organisations and people where we have lots of uh, technicians working and fighting the battle on every single level in every organisation. Um, as, uh, as you also mentioned in my President's address, I reached out to all of our members, our fellows, our students and apprentices, and I asked them to help influence those within their workplace you know, the companies they deal with and build on past president Peter Bonfield's concordat, which was pushing the importance and value of professional registration and demonstrating competence and professionalism across the industry. So I think we need to influence corporations uh, to see that there is a benefit to their company and its technicians. It's not just about the cost, uh, but I think it's about making their technicians feel valued. At the IET, I think we need to look at our continued professional development that we offer and to ensure that it aligns with the needs and requirements of our technicians now and into the future. But once we've shown to organisations the benefits of professional development and what it can bring, then it will make their workforce, I believe, more productive and certainly more innovative. Yeah. Uh, the soft skills engineers and technicians will receive far surpass the cost and people will feel valued. It will help retention of workers enable people to develop their skills and to give people the status they desire, especially for those in the military to pass on into civilian life and to continue their professional trade rather than taking a career turn. And as a result, we'll have lost another technical professional. Yeah. So I hope that there is uh, a lot that we can do. And, uh, and I and the IET have steps in place to try and address those issues. Does the Armed Forces Covenant, the cover that sort of wrapper pathway of that transition process to make it, sure that it's watertight as possible? It does a great job in doing that. But there are still, I think, some boundaries to, or obstacles rather, to overcome in trying to explain what it is that one does as a technician or an engineer in the RAF. And if indeed one is professionally registered, you know, as an engineering technician, an ICT tech, a um, ING or a CENG, it's an immediate kind of passport yes. uh, that others understand. And they go, oh, okay, I kind of vaguely, yep, I understand where you're, Got, you're yeah. coming from. I understand the, the, the level you're working at. That helps a lot. So mm -hmm. it, it's, it will help. But the Armed Forces Covenant is a great scheme. Fantastic. And so how is the IET supporting the engagement of young people in engineering and technology? I guess not just young people, but just people who are not engineers. You know, how, what, what is the IT doing to, to try and diversify the profession? Um, well, it's a case of trying to uh, inform people about what engineers do, um, inspire them to, you know, understand and hopefully work along the same cause line and ultimately influence decision makers into wanting to support more engineers in the future. So whether that's STEM in classrooms or whether that is uh, some time for mentoring uh, for those uh, you know, people on apprenticeships or those 
undergraduates, just turned graduates, to kind of encourage them really to work hard. With regard to young professionals, we've got a fantastic network around the globe. Uh, they run on campus groups to encourage uh, university students to continue their journey into engineering and technology with the IET. Uh, our volunteers host inspiring events throughout the year to reach and you know reach their, their peers, their colleagues, and to continue to highlight how rewarding a career in engineering can be, which Mark, you and I know it can be. Uh, we've, we have our Young Women Engineer of the Year Awards uh, to shine a light on incredible young female talent within engineering. And as I mentioned earlier, it's important that we raise the profile of these incredibly talented individuals to showcase role models that better represent those within the industry, as well as inspiring young people to look at a career in any STEM-related topic. So t- tell me a bit more about your interest in seeking greater levels of diversity in engineering. Uh, well, I'd like to think that I've always been an overt champion of equality, diversity and inclusion, EDI. Uh, Mark, I mean, you and I have worked together in my time in the MOD to promote yeah. diversity. Uh, and I really hope that that work is continuing uh, yes. to date. And the IET is passionate about EDI. Uh, and I'm delighted to say that we want to position ourselves as leaders of change to ensure engineering is accessible and representative of the of the entire community of the entire society. Uh, I'm absolutely pleased to tell you that for the first time ever this year, uh, the 16 members of the IET Board of Trusts are 50-50 women and men. Uh, And I'm absolutely really, really proud to chair this diverse board. And I hope that we set a standard for others by communicating that onwards. Uh, We have an an EDI strategy which outlines our achievements so far and it's given us goals to achieve by 2025. We focus a lot on changing the perception of engineering, trying to smash stereotypes. I mentioned stereotypes earlier, and to present role models that represent the entire talent pool within engineering and technology. Um, In fact, we're just in the position of asking our members for more information about all aspects of their diversity. And I trust that we can really focus on more more than just gender and ethnicity. Indeed, I'd like to get to the position where EDI, in all honesty, is not an issue at all. Though we both know that there is a long way to go. And for now, we've just got to keep pushing hard to make our profession more balanced, to reflect wider society. I think that's the aim. And I think it's down to all of us to get on and do that. And what would you, have you got any, so one of our research themes at Eco Engineers is our masculinity and engineering research theme. And it's very much focusing on each underrepresented group. And instead, flipping the dialogue to focus on the white, cisgendered, heterosexual, able-bodied male engineer that represents the majority, that in the journey and aspiration for all the positive reasons for doing what we do, sometimes might push back or are adversarial, or they're they're disproportionately um, represented in terms of the pecking order, so in terms of distribution of power, of underrepresented groups or representation across an organization, they hold the higher levels of, you know, influence. And so I I spend a lot of my time working with engineering institutions, uh, organizations, employers, where that's the case. And that can be the de facto stance attitude. So preaching about improved business cases and, and, you know, employer reputation, it's, 
it's it's not having the deep impact in terms of changing hearts and minds that translates through to strategy and investment. So what for, for change makers out there that are engineers now from underrepresented groups that are facing like an uphill struggle and they're trying to push, what have you got any words of wisdom on how they can engage or try and change in a positive way without just always focusing on the positive positives, but still having it as a non-threatening conversation? Uh, well, I think there's a couple of things. Um, uh, and I appreciate you're looking uh, in your perspective, Mark, uh, from a much wider uh, range of diversity issues. But if I may, I'll give an example. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking to Angela Owen, which both of us know well from uh, Women in Defence, um, she educated me a few years ago in terms of if you are trying to recruit a more diverse workforce, then you've really got to look hard at your advertising mm-hmm. and the words that you're using within your adverts uh, to try and make them more attractive, more appealing to a broader spectrum of our society. And we started to do that, certainly in my last uh, place of work um, within the Ministry of Defence. And we found that that worked to a degree. Wow. So that was good yeah. news. I think beyond that, um, whilst we can't get into um, you know, having quotas, because I mean, that's a bad thing uh, and against the law um, in this country, but it's not against the law to, to, to find good role models yeah. and to try and use. And I know you said not, it's always not about good examples, but actually to have those role models uh, who are through virtue of their own success and hard work are successful and doing a great job within their organization. And certainly, I think what we've got to try and do is not burn them out, as it were, by asking them too many times, but certainly encouraging them uh, to, to let it be known that you know some of the adversity or social differences that they faced in the past, uh, actually what those are, and to try and encourage others to you know, to follow them, really. Uh, I think beyond that, I think it's about better education for all of us. Um, because, you know, what's the what's the prize? Engineers are great problem solvers. And as we know, uh, you know, we'll end up with groupthink if everybody comes from the same background. So we need diversity in our profession probably more than almost any others because we've got some massive problems to solve and we need as many ideas as we can possibly get to help solve them. And that's got to be about greater level of diversity in the future. Julian, I have absolutely loved talking to you today with all the insights that you've shared. I think that is a brilliant note to um, end on. Have you got any final words of wisdom that you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, Well, I would but say, Mark, thank you very much indeed for having me on Equal Engineers. I hope very much that uh, I and you can work together to try and improve things into the future. Um, and, And I would say, you know, together... Uh, I'll use the IET's catchphrase, but together we can engineer a better world. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks, Julian. Have a great day. And you. You have been listening to the Equal Engineers podcast, uncovering the diversity story behind leading engineers and those working with the profession championing change. If you've enjoyed the episode, please subscribe to the podcast on your podcast platform of choice and get notified when a new episode goes live. Did you know that we also offer a full transcript on each of our podcast episodes? Check out our website, equalengineers.com. 
Explore our wider training and development programs, our recruitment events, recognition awards, and case studies for how we are shaping the future of engineering. For now, thank you for listening, and please come back and join us on a future episode. Thank you.